Prescription birth control is a necessary health care, not a luxury. It's a vital resource for equity and equality. And I'm happy to announce that as of April 1st, British Columbia will become the first jurisdiction in Canada to fully cover prescription contraception. I'm Bindur Sajjan, and you're listening to Lady at the Ledge. That was Finance Minister Katrine Conroy. As of April 1st, prescription birth control will be provided for free to BC residents. In this episode, we'll talk about how birth control is not just about making sure you don't get pregnant, but also managing your period, potentially preventing abortion, and ultimately taking control of your life. When I first arrived at the legislature in 2015, I remember looking to see how far the women's bathrooms were. And I was surprised to see how far they were from where the action was taking place. Now, this was a problem not because I have a weak bladder, but because when I would have my period, I needed to make sure I could get to the bathroom in time. So I used birth control to manage my period. I was in the hallways of power with a lot of men and the last thing I wanted was some sort of accident. Now I recognize this story comes with a lot of privilege and for many women, birth control is about so much more. But we can't ignore how much time it takes to manage your period and how birth control can help with that. Along with prescription birth control, Plan B, the morning after pill as it's known, is going to be provided for free. There is a lot of confusion about this pill because in the United States, some people mistakenly refer to it as the abortion pill. We are going to clear that up when I speak with Frederic Chabot, who is with Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. It's Canada's Planned Parenthood. But first, how the change may help women in abusive relationships and at risk of losing their lives. Here's Angela Marie McDougall. Thank you for joining me. And what did you first think when you heard that prescription birth control was going to be free in British Columbia? Well, I thought, how fabulous. This is amazing. This is uh, um, it's something that I remember, uh, you know, wanting certainly as a youth uh, and, uh, and and thinking like, this is great. Like, this is a, such a good advancement or such a great uh, uh, you know um, opportunity, I think, for uh, li- increased liberation for, um, you know, women and it's, you know, and how, and knowing for the you know, organization I work w- uh, with, that I work for battery support services and just knowing how many survivors of violence and how much reproductive justice is, uh, so important and a big part of the work that we do. We really want, uh, we know that, um, uh, that controlling pregnancy, uh, um, managing, uh, you know, um, the number of children and when having children, and so access to, um, uh, you know, birth control is uh, often something that abusive partners will um, prevent women from having access and also um, force women to, you know, to bear children. Uh, and so we think that this is an important part of uh, liberation. And it's... Um, and it's a recognition, I think, of of what a you know, and one part of what a gender budget should be, and sort of seeing these um, this equity 
uh, this kind of piece around equity and recognizing that women and, and people who uh, want, you know, people who are um, marginalized by their gender who have, have um, could be pregnant uh, and want to control pregnancy is, uh, it's really important. And, and also what you mentioned too around just, um, you know, managing our periods and, and recognizing that that is such a huge part of a woman's life that we end up suppressing and in all this way just to do our jobs and live our lives. And it's such a big piece of our life that we um, we've only really just started being able to talk to talk about publicly. And, you know, and I just got to give hat raise my hands to all you know, all those women that really stepped up and showed, literally showed um, what it means to uh, to have a period, you know, for, I forgot her name, but the woman that ran the marathon, and recently there was um, a woman uh, in one of the countries in Africa who, are, you know, are wearing white clothes and bleeding through their pants and just kind of showing us what that means, and this is, um, this is a big uh, recognition of what women experience, yeah. and so the, the birth control piece is vital. Yeah, and um, I know even now, like, my mom would die if she heard me talking about my period in a public way. Um, but it is what it is, and I think it's necessary. But the reason I did want to talk to you is about that sort of that control piece, especially in abusive relationships. How big a concern is that for, um, you know, the women that you come into contact with? And, and how big a difference will this make for people, you think? You know, pregnancy is a risk factor for uh, lethal violence. And, uh, you know, we have a list of, you know, nine to maybe 15 kind of factors that tell us uh, that, you know, give us the ability to predict uh, if, an, if a partner is going to kill a woman. And, um, and one of those is pregnancy. And, and we know that, um, you know, preventing access to birth control, pre- preventing access to abortion, preventing access to... Um, you know, the, like that kind of health care is something that abusive partners do, both from the point of view of, of knowing that, you know, that when a woman is pregnant, like she, you know, there are some very, you know, real physical uh, changes and responsibilities that come from, you know, from being pregnant and also bearing children. And this, you know, and frankly, that adage, the adage, you know, barefoot and pregnant uh, comes from the idea of this kind of subjugation of women and and controlling women's reproduction and the idea of keeping a woman pregnant is to keep her um kind of kind of enslaved in a way if you will and so this uh gives some room uh both from um you know those uh, victims who uh can in a in a without having to impact their family budget can then access uh, birth control, um, you know, such as birth control, like contraception, contraceptives or IUD. Uh, and I think that's so important because uh, so many women, um, you know, they, they really do keep their reproductive uh, life really secret and they try to prevent pregnancy in the way that they can. And they know uh, for those partners who are controlling, they they will prevent women from accessing, um, you know, that kind of health care. So this is a radical move, I think, uh, for the provincial government. Um, I've had uh, concerns about some of the, well, like what's ha- happening with the provincial government, particularly around gender-based violence and, and feeling a little bit concerned about what's not in the mandate letters, which uh, for all of the various ministers and, and seeing the budget didn't contain anything around gender-based violence uh, explicitly. And, um, and the contraception, of course, is a big part of... Um, liberation 
And uh, I want to ask you about that too. What else was not explicit is that Plan B uh, in the U.S., they refer to it as the abortion pill. But uh, Plan B uh, is what you can take after you think that you may have had an encounter where you've gotten pregnant. That is also going to be able to be provided for free by pharmacists across British Columbia. That seems to be a huge move as well. Not a lot of governments usually try to tread there. We know that abortion access is not equal across the province. It's not great. How big a difference do you think that could make, too, in women's lives? That's huge. Uh, I mean, you know, it's such an important um uh, it's so key for women to have access to Plan B. It's um, I, I know so many women, and myself included, that's really, really benefited from that healthcare. And um, and I know, you know, for myself, I would have loved to have it be at no cost uh, because you know so many people uh, prescriptions are you know are expensive. But this is a very specific kind of healthcare that is, um, and so this prioritizing the needs of women, and particularly around Plan B. And I know women. Uh, who have, for lots of reasons, um, that birth control has been, that contraception, contra- preventing pregnancy has been really challenging. And ev- and that even with, you know, the methods that we have, like, you know, even with, um, you know, oral contracept- contraceptives, like they, you know, they're, um, if it, they, they, could, they could fail. There's a failure rate uh, for different reasons. Also with the IUD, there could be other things such as an atopic pregnancy or other factors that then, um, so for many women, even if they have, they're using birth control, even if they're doubling up and using, you know, condoms as well, um, it is so important to have that um, that option if there's um, the possibility of being pregnant to then, you know, to be able to, to access Plan B. And even for those women where, you know, maybe, um, you know, you have, you, have, you have a night out and you weren't maybe necessarily expecting to uh, have sex with somebody and negotiating uh, condom use or kind of managing um, preventing pregnancy in a, um, you know, in an intimate relationship is a challenging thing. And, and it takes a lot of communication and it takes a lot of, you know, kind of, kind of, um, I'm going to say confidence, but also the, also there needs to be a receptive partner that's going to hear that. So plan B gives just freedom and more options to uh, manage reproduction. And I want to ask you as well, um, in terms of addressing people who have lower incomes, we know that can often be, um, you know, black, indigenous, or racialized groups, um, mar- other marginalized groups as well. And so in terms of addressing sort of the unequal burden that women face or, or you know, who are often deemed responsible for contraception, how far do you think it goes in terms of equity in that way? That's so important. I mean, you know, it's it's really uh, the cost of living is so high, and to just you know putting food on the table, uh, paying rent is um, it's a lot right now in British Columbia and in all the regions, and in particular here in Metro Vancouver, and so the I you know not having money in order to purchase contraception or or Plan B. Um, it means that there are, uh, you know, there's unwanted pregnancies and that creates a whole other challenge for women. 
and and in terms of especially in, in you know in terms of abusive relationships, and so having not ha- you know the ability to to have the contraception be at no cost uh, removes that, and just you know it, it ends up just making it, the ability to reproductive justice be uh, you know realized for so many more uh, women in British Columbia. And one of the things that you're also talking about today to recognize also that women are often paid less than men for doing the same job. Women's products are taxed at a higher rate with the so-called pink tax. I mean, there's layers upon layers of economic disadvantage for women. That's it. You've said it. That's exactly it. There's layers and layers of economic disadvantage, as you know, for women. And I know for myself as, you know, in throughout my life, I've really thought that, you know, in buying um, uh, menstrual care and, you know, and having to purchase, you know, contraception and, uh, and, you know, and knowing that these things are really expensive and, and, and exactly what you said about women are earning less and especially women of color, indigenous women, black women are learning, earning less than men in general. And their money is often in a couple, their money is often uh, allocated, uh, you know, based on the way that economic abuse can happen. Their money goes toward the household items, such as the food, the rent, that kind of thing. And where the, the you know, the male partner has often more discretion in terms of their revenue because he can, you know, he's got that sort of power and control in the relationship. So his money goes towards the things that he's sort of interested in. Her money goes toward keeping, you know, keeping the bills paid, the lights on, and the food in the fridge, you know, if there's, um, needs for children and that kind of thing. So uh, this has been a vital shift, a vital, uh, I hope there's more of it. I mean, this is one really important part and and I'm glad that that there's, I mean, I don't quite know how the matrix of this or like what the deal was with with pharmaceutical, uh, like with the, with the makers of the contraception, um, I don't know what that means. And if the, like, I'm not sure that, like, how that, with that, I'm sure they're not providing it at no cost. So I don't know what all of that means. And I don't have the, those details. Uh, but I think there's more that needs to be done around gender equity that could, uh, of course, you know, about, you know, we were, we were talking about, uh, you know, the equal pay and pay equity legislation and wanting to, you know, see British Columbia advance that. Uh, we want more investment in services and resources for victims of violence. Intimate partner violence uh, continues at, at an epidemic rate, and um, there's very few services uh, for the number of victims that actually exist in the province. You know, there. You know, uh, the BC Society of Transition Houses does a count every year. Well, it's, it happens across the the country. Uh, every province does it, but in, in BC, it's the BC Society of Transition Houses. I'm, I'm on the board, and uh, one of the the pieces that we do is that we do a count every year about the number of women that are accessing. Um, sorry, the count one for one day, a 24-hour period. We look at, and this this uh, year for that one day, uh, there were 500 uh, women and children that were turned away. Uh, in the province. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't so, think I've never heard the number be that high. Uh, well, this is where we're at in terms of the demand. And if part of it's coming out of COVID in the sense that there's been, we kind of opened up something in recognition of how um, how challenging it is uh, for survivors, have victims of violence in the province. Um, we may, we let survivors know, listen, like, you know, there's, there's resources for you. There's opportunity for you to get safe. And, you know, the transition houses, the housing still isn't meeting the need and it's not being talked about in the province. It's one of those things that just isn't discussed. And I was, um, really disappointed about, um, 
the absence of that discussion in light of what we think is also really great in this in this particular piece around um, uh, contraception for for women in BC. Sounds like I have some questions to ask some ministers. So we'll leave it there and we'll catch up again, I'm sure. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate Uh, it. Binder, thank you. This has been really great. I really appreciate you reaching out. That was Angela Marie McDougall with Battered Women Support Services. I have a statement from the Period Poverty Task Force that says it's important to suppress menstruation when fleeing violence, when you're in precarious housing, or having challenges with affording food. So something to think about there as well. And my next guest is Frédéric Chabot, who talks about why those who think this is just about paying for other people's sex lives are misguided. Take a listen. And people may be surprised to know that when you're talking about sexual health and uh, sexual rights, that managing your period is kind of part and parcel of that. You know, my story about starting here at the legislature in Victoria, does that surprise you? It does not surprise me. Uh, I've heard this story uh, from other people who work in political jobs and jobs that have been traditionally occupied by men and for whom um, the infrastructure really works because it was built for them. Uh, And so when other people, people who menstruate, for example, or who have babies and need to go on on maternity leave or need to bring babies on site, uh, the infrastructure is in their way like does not serve those needs. And and I think a lot of people under under, uh, estimate the impacts of of that on on our daily lives. And I think that also flows into policy as well. What, you know, the infrastructure is set up for the people who traditionally were there, which tended to be men. And now, and that impacts policy as well. Finally, we're getting to a point where something as basic as I believe, uh, contraception, prescription contraception, we know this often falls to one gender rather than the other, is finally in BC being addressed. What do you think about the move that the BC government has made here to not only cover prescription contraception, but also emergency contraception? I think it's a beautiful, bold, sound policy move. I think it's bold in the sense that uh, traditionally these these issues have been siloed. So they're considered to be uh, a special issue, a a special interest, something that is not as important as real politics, when in fact, it actually impacts all of society and how we organize ourselves, who gets to be in the workforce and, and what are the barriers to being in the workforce? What are the barriers to participation in society or civic institutions and democracy as a whole? And so I think it's bold in that sense, although, as you say, it's pretty common sense and pretty basic. Uh, I think it's it's wonderful leadership and we want to see people follow through across the country in terms of of that kind of policy decision. It's also um, a very sound policy decision because even just economically, it's a it's it's just very good, very good calculations of like investment versus returns. And so uh, I think this is a decision to be celebrated, absolutely. And BC is celebrating it, saying that this is the first province in Canada to provide this. Uh, Is that true? Where does BC stand in comparison to other provinces? I think an announcement like this, where, uh, where not only contraception, so all contraceptive options, as well as emergency contraception will be covered by the province, 
I believe it's this is a first. So of course there is there's been different kind of patchworks of programs that have been introduced in other provinces, and that's actually the problem is that uh, it's the kind of approaches that have left huge gaps uh, and huge cracks through which people can fall through, uh, and you know we need to have a universal approach to, to those kinds of uh, societal issues. And, and this is what BC is proposing. And we had not seen that elsewhere before. Can you talk about some of those uh, cracks or those gaps that are left behind then? Absolutely. So, well, let's just say that Canada is the only country that has universal health care and does not have a pharmacare strategy. So uh, this means that people in Canada can go to the hospital or the clinic if they need any kind of medical care, but contraception, one of them, any kind of prescription drugs, any kind of medication will not be covered by the same kind of universal approach for people to be able to access it uh, in the same way that we access healthcare. This means that people either have private insurance, so they have access to benefits through work, or uh, they have access to compassionate programs or government governmental programs that are targeting people who would not have access to private insurance through employment, for example. Um, the kind of gaps it creates, I mean, every province will have a different kind of combination of what that will look like. But usually, we're going to see categories of people that are in sectors like work sectors where they do not have access to benefits they have more precarious employment or they work in the service industry childcare, uh like kind of lower paid more precarious sectors which by the way is mostly uh women uh and but who would not qualify for a compassionate program or a governmental program because they're not on uh they're not under the kind of poverty line or right. so it they creates this kind of poverty line even exactly right? yeah. Yeah. exactly so they're they're just kind of in these gray zones of like, like just making enough money that they're not accessing benefits through the province like to live to pay their rent but they're not in a in a employment situation where they have access to comprehensive benefits or even salaries that would make it not a big deal to have to buy your own contraception. And, and so that's one sort of gap. There's another one as well that I think is worth mentioning. That is when you have access to, we're talking about contraception. So let's talk about contraception specifically through private benefits. Every company can, can make decisions about what they cover. So like, do they cover IUDs? Do they cover the copper one, the hormonal system? Do they cover every kind of pills? Do they, what are the individual options that are covered through your benefits uh, can also limit what you'll have access to. And that can have a huge impact on people because we are all different. We have different needs. We are, we have different circumstances. And so uh, different options will work for us in, in different ways. Like for some people, an, a hormonal system might be a really good option, but for someone else, it might be a really bad option, but that's all you get covered through your benefits. Right. So there's it's not one size fits all for sure. And I've it's had a number of conversations not. with women who talk about, you know, which one is right for them. The other part of this is the emergency contraception. I've been looking through articles and it looks like in the United States, Plan B by some people is actually considered the abortion pill, which it is not. It's emergency contraception. Um, 
And it just seems so different, the conversation that we're having right now in terms of here's a province who is covering this, uh, providing it for free to residents versus the conversation that's happening in the United States. Absolutely. So it's, I think, a, a really wonderful thing that they are including. So the BC government is including emergency contraception in the coverage that they're going to be offering to residents for, for a few reasons. So you're right to say that emergency contraception and the abortion pill are different things. So emergency contraception is uh, a medication that someone can access if they had unprotected sex. They may have been around the period that they're ovulating or near that period, or maybe they just don't know, and they want to prevent fertilization from even happening. And so it's a, it's a medication that will prevent conception. So there's no pregnancy that exists when we have, when we take emergency contraception. Uh, what, what it does is that it prevents a pregnancy from happening. And so people use it when they had unprotected sex for a number of reasons. The thing is, is that these reasons can include, this was non-consensual sex. It can include, so a sexual assault, or it can be a non-consensual lack of use of protection. So we know the concept of stealthing, uh, which is- I don't know that, what is that? No, I think it's a really important concept to know. So, because it also now is making its way into the legal landscape, And so I think people should be aware that it's actually a crime if you have agreed, for example, to wear a condom and the partner who's wearing the condom removes it during the like the actual sexual intercourse that is called stealthing. And so that is something that can happen and happens. And so that may mean that someone may be in a situation where they've had sex, where a pregnancy could occur, and that was not what they had planned or prepared for. And so you can take emergency contraception. We, we also have to consider power dynamics in relationships. Uh, so where, and this is something that connects to comprehensive sexuality education, we can teach young people about condoms and contraception and safer sex behaviors And they can even have access to condoms and safer sex supplies. But if we do not talk about power dynamics in sexual relationships and romantic relationships where, for example, a young woman shows up with condoms in her backpack, and that means that she is promiscuous, she is not to be trusted, she is someone who, she'll be slut shamed if she shows that, or if she asks a partner to wear a condom and that means that she doesn't trust him she doesn't want to be intimate with him she is maybe seeing other people that will get in the way of people asking for the kind of safer sex that they want and need to protect themselves and so that is a reality like we live in a world where power dynamics exist in relationships and where not all of us at all times are able to implement safer sex measures that will prevent pregnancy and so Emergency uh, contraception is a very important family planning tool and safety tool, and uh, and it needs to be covered. Like it's expensive. Yeah, and so uh, you know, and that'll be the other thing because we know 
you know, these are steps, right? So whether you have a prescription contraceptives, you know, maybe you get an IUD, maybe you get on monthly birth control, you have access to plan B, um, because getting an abortion isn't as simple or as easy as it sounds, even though it's legal in Canada, you're able to do that. Um, especially, I think, uh, for women who are in rural areas, especially for Indigenous women. So um, how does this fit into that conversation and how much more still needs to be done? It's such a good it's such a good idea to connect those two conversations because we we don't always do and access to contraception is is a huge driver of um of what sets people up in terms of needing to access abortion or not not always because contraception fails we're always you know going to be in situations where someone has planned their their lives very well and their own, uh, they are, you know, using contraception and, and there's no perfect, uh, contraception that never, oh, yeah. ever fails. So people will always need abortion as an option if the, if pursuing a pregnancy is not what they want to do. But it's also the case that in Canada right now, about half of pregnancies every year are unintended. That's a huge number. Uh, that means that most of us are having trouble or don't necessarily have the resources, information and access to fully decide when and how we want to become parents or become parents again. Like a lot of people have kids already and, and face unplanned pregnancies. And one big aspect of that is access to contraception. So one thing that we also know, so over like on top of the fact that half of pregnancies are unintended every year is that the the main contraception contraceptive options used in Canada are condoms the pill and the withdrawal method the three cheapest ones yeah so yeah. people are choosing them not because they're the most effective or the ones that work the best for her. Yeah. It's because they're the cheapest ones. They're actually the ones that have the highest failure rates. And so uh, like having access and real meaningful access, because of course we have access to contraceptives in Canada. It's at the pharmacy. Like you can get a prescription and go to the pharmacy, but if you can't pay for it, you don't have real meaningful access. And so that is a, a big reason why, a lot of people face unplanned pregnancies. And of course, not all of those pregnancies will end in abortion, but about half of those will end in an abortion. So it's very common as a medical procedure to get an abortion in Canada. Like it's it's one in three people who can get pregnant in their lifetime will have an abortion. There's close to 100,000 abortion a year in our country. Like it's it's very common, it's safe, it's normal. It's not talked as such same as is contraception it's talked as as this like kind of special interest uh medical procedure or or health need when in fact it's it's central to families and how we organize ourselves as societies and family well-being and economic growth and all of these other very kind of central aspects and not everyone will have an easy access to it yeah, and, and and I just think now, you know, the conversation around healthcare and the strain on the healthcare system, like here in Victoria, 
good luck getting a family doctor, good luck trying to get in to actually get a prescription to get contraception. Um, and so those are still barriers as well that remain. And I understand with the BC government, what they're trying to get to is that you can go straight to the pharmacist to get these prescriptions. So you don't have to go that route, right? Because there are a number of communities where a family doctor may not be available. Um, so all in all, it still seems like there's still more that needs to be done, um, you know, to help people who don't have pregnancies. But if you help them, you're also helping the healthcare system. Absolutely. There's a, a huge economic argument when we're talking about um, offering contraception, like universal cost coverage for contraception. And I think this is this is a comment that we've come across quite a bit since the BC announcement where some people's, not everyone's reaction, but there's some people who are reacting saying, why am I made to pay for other people's sex lives? The thing is, you already are. Yeah, it's a yeah. huge strain on the healthcare system to have so many unintended pregnancies and every single healthcare needs that comes from that. Um, and so, and so really it, it's just like a, a, a sound approach as a society, we have an issue that we need to solve together. And this is a better solution than what we had before this announcement. And so economically, societally, just levels of well-being and choice uh, just went up with this announcement. And that was Frederic Chabot, who is with Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. Now, I want to know what you think of this episode. You can email me at ladyattheledge at gmail.com. That's lady, A-T-T-H-E-L-E-D-G-E at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Until next time, bye.